With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. My guest on this week's soundtracking is a writer, actor, and director behind a trio of films that I hugely admire. Mario Heller first came to my attention with her sharp comedy drama, Diary of a Teenage Girl. She followed that up with Can You Ever Forgive Me, which won a slew of awards and saw Melissa McCarthy and Richard E. Grant nominated for Oscars. Now Marielle brings us A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood, a drama inspired by the beloved Fred Rogers, an American children's entertainer, musician and puppeteer, played in the film by Tom Hanks. Now Fred is most famous for the show Mr Rogers' Neighbourhood, so it seems only fitting, given that we're a film music podcast, that we begin with Mr Hanks's version of Mr Rogers' theme. beautiful day since we're together we might as well say would you be mine could you be mine won't you be my neighbor won't you please won't you please please won't you be my neighbor Welcome to Soundtracking, first of all. Thank you. Um, it's so funny because this time last year I was talking in depth about your previous film with Mr. Richard E. Grant. I, f- I think I did maybe something like 10 Q&As with him. You're so lucky. Oh He's my the God, most was... joyful, wonderful person, right? I mean, your ears must have been burning because you were talked about a lot. I um, just adore him. He's very special. He is very special. Yeah. And he's remained so supportive and wonderful even while I've been making this movie. Uh, well, we'll talk about that um, that one in a minute but first congratulations on a beautiful day in the neighborhood thank you it's a really special film god it's it's really hard to describe when someone was like oh what's i was like it's all kinds of things it's 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 a hard one to i think people's expectations no matter what are wrong <laughs> it's not ever going to be exactly what you think it's going to be but i like that that it's almost when you see it, it's what you need it to be yeah if that makes sense yeah that's what fred did you know that's what mr rogers did he was able to kind of see what people needed to yeah. hear or see in their lives and somehow 
have that thing yeah. to say in that moment. Was he part of your world? Were you? Were you yeah, I grew you, up yeah. watching Mr. Yeah. Rogers. I mean, everybody did. And if you were a kid of the 70s or 80s, you pretty much grew up watching Mr. Rogers. You know, I remember rejecting him and thinking he wasn't cool. Also, I was the oldest kid in my family. But as a parent now, I've had sort of, I've been reintroduced to him mostly. Through, it started with Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, which is they have a modern day incarnation of the show that's animated. And it was the first show I let my kid watch. And it's like, Every parent I know watches it. And then I got to kind of re-examine who Mr. Rogers was through a parent perspective and realize what a kind of radical genius he was when it came to dealing with children and their feelings. And that he was not something that was simple or reductive or hokey. He was nuanced and complicated and deep and was allowing children in a very necessary way to feel seen and loved exactly as they are. Mm. You know, he would say, why do we tell kids one day you will be this or you will be that? Yeah. When we can just say, you are what you are right now and it's wonderful. Yeah. And how, what that meant for children, what that means as a viewer to feel like you were seen in that way. And, you know, he would greet people who had watched the show and fans would come up to him and he would say, oh, were you one of my neighbors? You know, it was <laughs> like, it. that yeah. was how he viewed everybody who watched the show. Yeah. It was with such respect. Yeah. It's amazing as well, because um, there's a line in the documentary where he says music was my first language. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, talking about music and it's so weird since watching your film, that theme tune, which I wasn't aware of as a child, you know, it wasn't part of my world grew up in the UK. Yeah. Um, but that, from just watching your film and how brilliantly and beautifully you've used that theme, you know, in different parts of the film, yeah. it is, it's under my skin. I find myself Aww. humming it to my kids. Um, kind of makes me skip down the road, to be honest. It. It's extraordinary. Well, he was an incredible composer and music was such a huge part of his yeah. life. And his wife was a professional pianist and music was how he expressed himself in so many ways. And that was something we knew we really wanted to play with in the movie was yeah. to make it clear how much music meant to him in a really, in a deep way, not it, that it, it was something like you say, it was his first language. And so my brother is my composer and he, he and I sort of devised this plan early on to use Fred's lines and compositions as a jumping off point for the entire score of the movie and find ways to kind of weave them through the whole score. That must have been quite a complicated, or was it a complicated procedure in terms of... It was. (laughs) It was because it was also figuring out the right tone because we also had to go, you know, and we had to take this children's show and grow it up in so many ways and expand it out to Lloyd's World and to New York City and like a grown-up complicated world. And that meant letting it grow and shift into something more. But it also meant... um, keeping true to something that it was based on. So Mm -hmm. we kind of did the same thing with the miniatures as we did with the music, which was use what he did as an inspiration and then try to expand out on it. Yeah, because that kind of 
the musicality of that theme tune and even the instrumentation of that theme tune yeah. and being kind of true to that, I imagine. It's not about mimicking it. It's about making it fit with your Well, and the truth is, vision. you know, he'd sing that song a little differently every day yeah. and it was played live and it was done differently every day. together we might as well say would you be mine could you be mine won't you be my neighbor won't you please won't you please please won't you be my neighbor that's amazing to think he did that for every show it was every single one this life yeah, yeah. so we had to go through and kind of pick which version of the piano we wanted to recreate and which version of the song and we altered it many times and we altered it after he sang it too to kind of make it feel live i had him sing live which is never what you do in movies you just don't have big movie stars <laughs> sing something live because it's like way too risky but we made him sing live so it would feel human and complete with all of the imperfections left in it was also so inspiring to have all of his music there that we could be listening to as we were creating the movie and then expanding out from there. How was Tom about singing? Was he all right about it? He was great about it. <laughs> you know, I made a lot of actors sing. Chris Cooper had to sing for this. <laughs> Susan Galecki Watson had to sing. Um, you know, it's nerve wracking. Matthew had to sing to his baby. Oh, yeah. I made everybody sing. It wasn't a musical, but somehow it almost started to feel like a musical. <laughs> we had singing rehearsals. It was like, it was a thing, but Tom was totally a great sport about it. I hope you know that you made today a very special day by just your being you. There's no one in the whole world like you, and I like you just the way you are. It's such a good feeling to know you're alive. It's such a happy feeling you're growing inside. And when you wake up ready to say, I think I'll make a snappy new day. It's such a good feeling, a very good feeling. The feeling you know that I'll be back when the day is new. And I'll have more ideas for you. And you'll have things you'll want to talk about. I will too. See you next time. 
his performance as this character is is because I watched the film first and then I went back and watched the documentary, mm. which I'm glad I did it that way. Yeah, I think that's cool. Um, and then oh my god, just then when you think about how he's how he's played him, that moment where he's crouched down the, with the puppetry, and it's Lord- one of my favorite <sighs> moments in the whole movie. He's puppeteering Daniel Tiger, who is the puppet who we have a line in the movie that's Daniel's not just a puppet. Daniel is Fred. Fred is Daniel. Like Daniel sort of almost represents Fred's inner child. And he is really talking to Matthew Reese's character through what he's doing on the show. And it's such a complicated technical shot, but it's so emotional, which is sort of my favorite is when the technical is really feeding something truly emotional. And Tom didn't know that we were zooming in on him. Well, he was really genuinely singing live, puppeteering live, looking at a little monitor. He knew he was in the shot, but we were zooming the camera. So the camera wasn't actually physically pushing toward him. We were zooming the lens. And he didn't know that we were focusing in on him. And you you can see how much he's concentrating. Absolutely. That's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love that. Yeah. Because there's, obviously, this is, it's you know, this is based on this real relationship yep. that, that developed through Tom, the, the real journalist, and his experience. And But I was so, kind of took my breath away with the scene in the subway and learning that that was real. That, that happened. was real. I know. Hey, Mr. Rogers. It's a beautiful day. Was wonderful. It would have been the type of scene that wouldn't you you couldn't have put it in a movie if it wasn't real because it would have seemed too much like <laughs> yeah. a movie moment. I know, and it's always a fine line with something like that to make sure it doesn't tip over into something that feels fake or schmaltzy or too movie like. You know, it's great. No good because it just kind of instantly sort of. You know, it's it's such a clever way that you are kind of telling Fred's story whilst also Lloyd's, whilst kind of a bigger picture of children and youth and and what they're told and the relationships between you know parents all there's so many wonderful themes but within that one scene you kind of instantly get that kind of uh confirmation about the power of his storytelling yeah through very different generations different cultures different classes within that one subway journey it's extraordinary which was i mean was so true to who he was i mean there's a sort of famous story that his car was stolen at one point, and when the thieves realized it was his car because it was on the local news, they returned it with a note that said, "We're sorry, Mr. Rogers. We didn't know it was your car." Oh my god! And by the way, his car was like a little Honda Civic <laughs> yeah. or something. Like it was not a fancy car. Oh man, we need more people like him in the world. I know. But then the choices that you've made on Needle Drops and you know, and contemporary music that cut Stevens' track. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about how you pick those tracks and there's a Tracy Chapman one as well the Tracy Chapman makes me so happy I mean the Cat Stevens makes me so happy too (laughs) I can't really believe that we got either of those songs (laughs) I mean the movie's set in 1998 so for a lot of it it was just kind of going back with Howard Parr my music supervisor and talking about what I was listening to in 1998 which was a lot of Tracy Chapman truthfully (laughs) Um, and especially those songs that just get you emotionally you know her song the promise that's in the movie it just makes me cry every time and at least what i've heard is that she doesn't really let her music be in movies very often so it meant so much to us that she let us use that song if you wait for me then i'll come for you although i've tried 
similar to the Cat Stevens, both of those were the only songs I ever plugged into those moments in the film. I never had anything else in the edit, and I just didn't think we would get them. Did you send them scripts? Did you send them cuts? We sh- we sent definitely sent Tracy Chapman, I think, the section of the movie that yeah. it was going to be used in. I can't remember what we sent to Cat Stevens. When I left my happy home To see what I could find out We're just so lucky that we got those. And it was about, yeah, it was about finding music that really captured the emotion of what's happening in that moment while also kind of keeping us rooted in that era. And you're making those choices whilst you're like about to go into the edit or have you already kind of got it in your head? I had like a running list of songs going, you know, that as I would be in prep where I would be listening to things I would write down. I wrote down Tracy Chapman, maybe that song (laughs) early on. Like I want to say I wrote that down way before we started filming. But then you never know what's going to... You try a bunch of things and see what feels right. Yeah. Just going back to that whole thing at the start where he said about music being the um, his first language and that idea that music allowed him to kind of say things mm-hmm. uh, or express himself in a way that he couldn't do by communicating them, you know, with words. Similarly with his puppetry as well and those characters yeah. that he created as well sort of thing. I think he worked things out at the piano and through song and worked things out through puppets, which I, you know, a lot of kids do. Yeah. You know, you watch kids work things out through play. Yeah. I mean, that's something that like my kid goes to a Montessori school and I know it's part of the Montessori philosophy is watching kids play. There was a story of Maria Montessori watching a kid and they were, I'm not going to quite remember it. They were taking a little doll and sticking a thermometer somewhere or doing something and or they were I can't remember what it was but they were doing something and the teacher was saying no no that's not how that goes and then you realize they were playing out something that had happened to them at the doctor some t- type of surgery they had had through their play they yeah. were working out something real something yeah, that had yeah, been yeah, hard yeah, for yeah, them yeah. and you just recognize that so many you know these are the ways we cope and part of what was so sort of the mission statement of the movie is that we need to find the ways that we cope with our feelings. Yeah. You know, and Lloyd is a character who doesn't have his means of coping with his feelings. He doesn't have, he doesn't have the skills for that. Yeah. Do you appreciate that kind of power of music as a language, as a filmmaker in terms of, of what it can... Definitely. I myself am truthfully not, not that musical, although I grew up playing music and I grew up in a very musical house. My mom plays piano and my brother is obviously a great musician and has played guitar his whole life. And I took piano lessons as a kid and then be, w- did musical theater. So I took a lot of singing lessons. And my my parents had a rule, which was we all had to take music, but we got to decide what type of music we wanted to mm-hmm. take, what type of, but we always had to be in some kind of music lessons, which I think was a good way to do it. My sister played cello and 
my brother and I both started with piano and then he changed to guitar at some point and I changed to singing lessons. But I'm probably the least musical of my family. Well, my dad too, but I recognize the power of music in storytelling so much and I'm really conscious about not wanting to overuse it or to over sentimentalize mm -hmm. with music or to manipulate the audience with music. And part of why my brother and I work so well together, I think, is neither of us have that intention. You know, there's not the feeling that we if the movie can't hold up on its own, you're in trouble. The music should be enhancing it and should be helping to guide you and should be adding another element, but it shouldn't be doing all the heavy lifting, if yeah. that makes sense. How did the conversation with your brother and you come from about you working together, you know, kind of professionally? As, as It happened step by step. So I did a play version of The Diary of a Teenage Girl. Oh, wow. And I used a song he and my sister wrote as the final song in the play. And I it wasn't something they wrote for the play. It was just a song they had written together. And I used it in the play. And then when I was making the movie, I wanted him to write a song for the movie. And he, there was the scene where they go to a club and at the very end and watch a band play. And Kristen Wiig's character is dating a member of the band. And so I asked him to write an original song for that part of the movie, mostly because also we weren't going to be able to afford any real song. So it was like, we got to write an original song for this. Piece. So he wrote an original song for that piece before we started filming for that part of the movie. We can run to the mountains. We can sail the Emerald Sea. Drop a coin in every fountain. It comes true when I wake up and I see you next to me. I got a girl, she's sweet as can be All the other boys wanna be like me And oh, isn't life sweet? Danny, isn't life sweet? Well, I chase that girl around the Frisco Bay Don't believe everything your mama say And oh, isn't life weird? We can run to the mountains, we can sail the Emerald Sea, drop a coin in every fountain, it's true when I wake up and I see you next to me, it's true when I wake up and I see you next to me. And then slowly but surely I kind of started to ask him to do more and more things for the film. And felt sort of sheepish about letting everybody else know that I really wanted him to score the film, but I felt really comfortable talking to him about the music, and I felt like I wasn't sure I had that language with somebody else. And we ended up just relying on him so much and relying on him being somebody who could help us fill things in quickly and in the ways that I wanted. So it, it kind of just naturally evolved until finally... We all looked at each other and were like, well, he's the composer of the film, naturally. <laughs> and he was. And then, so then it became sort of a conscious thing after that. Yeah.
diary of a teenage girl and can you ever forgive me both brilliantly brilliant scores but just complemented so perfectly with the choices of those contemporary tracks that you've got yeah. great soundtracks i've worked with howard parr on all three movies too and nate on all three movies and they all have very different sounds yeah i mean they're different eras 1976 1991 1998 very different musical eras, but also different tastes, because obviously Lee is real with Can You Ever Forgive Me. We base some of the tracks, the source tracks there, are based on the songs she really, truly loved. Blossom Deary and oh, Jerry wow. Southern, and we had a list of songs that we knew she loved from some of her friends, so oh, that I was our that. jumping off point. Yeah. I'll take Manhattan The Bronx and Staten Island too It's lovely going through The zoo That's amazing. And it guided the whole the whole score soundtrack as well. I mean, it really was, it was a certain sound, a certain type of jazz sound that we used as our inspiration, but it was really based on her character. Because that Chet Baker, um, Traveling Light? Yeah, Traveling Light. Traveling Light, yeah. Oh, it breaks my heart. I mean, and Melissa in that film is just like, you know, and I love it when directors see something in an actor that no one's given them the chance to do yet. Yeah. Like I remember there's this film called Tyrannosaur mm. that Paddy Considine directed yeah. a year ago, Olivia Coleman. Yeah. You know, prior to that, she'd been in kind of TV comedies. No right. one had kind of given her that kind of role to really show right. what she was capable of doing. Right. And similarly with this with Melissa, we love her. We know of she's course. brilliant, but to see her 
Oh my God. It's, it's not that every comedian has those types of dramatic chops, God, but no. when they do, it can be so powerful. Oh, it just blew me away. And then also Same that- with Kristen Wiig in Diary. I mean, she's also yeah. a really powerful, dramatic actress. Did you, was Melissa aware about the music of, of these characters? She was, because we put some of it really in her headset and we put, <laughs> she would walk around with this little cassette player, which is what Lee would do when she was on the subway. And sometimes even when she was sitting in the bar and she didn't <laughs> want anyone to talk to her, she would just be listening to her Walkman. So we had on tape a bunch of her favorite songs that she was listening to, <laughs> kind of get her in that mindset. I quite like doing that as well, just to get mm -hmm. rid of the world. <laughs> we had this neat moment with that movie where I think it was like our second day filming and we had Melissa in her wig and her like clothes that made her sort of invisible. And we were in New York City and we were filming just a scene where she was going down into the subway and we couldn't lock up the whole corner. You know, mm -hmm. there were lots of people there. Yeah. And we put on her headphones and she just, without anyone noticing her, just kept, we had our extras as well, but just kept doing it over and over again, listening to her Blossom Deary, walking down into the subway. And when it finished, she looked at me and she was like, I haven't had this moment in so long where I get to be an anonymous person walking through New York, listening to music. She was like, thank you for that. Oh. It was so sweet. <laughs> That's incredible. You realize those are the things when you become an enormous movie star like that, you don't get to feel. Yeah. When you're writing, do you listen to music? No, I can't. I get too distracted. I'll listen to things around the time I'm writing, like, but not in the physical moment while, while I'm writing. Yeah. I, I kind of can't do... I'm also talking out loud a lot when I'm writing, like saying the lines out loud. So especially if music had lyrics going or something, it would just mess yeah. me up. But I'll listen to kind of inspiring music like that night or later, you know, and kind yeah. of be like in a certain mood. Yeah. And with regards to, I'm really interested in terms of the, the, the kind of the journey of um, Diary of a Teenage Girl from, from a kind of stage play to mm -hmm. film and the music journey of that as well. Mm -hmm. You know, what music you included in the theatrical version of it that ended up in the film or was there or was there a journey that that went on as well? Well, the thing about doing like a little off-Broadway play was we didn't license any of the music that we played. So there were songs in there that we never could have afforded while we did the, the movie version of it. But I actually think limitations like budget help you to find even cooler music. Like there was stuff that Howard brought in and things that we found for, um, like there's this Labby Sifri song that I love so much yeah. that called Laughing, Loving, Crying or those words in some combination that, oh God, it's such an emotional, beautiful song and not something we would have found if you're just looking through like the most popular songs of that yeah. day. But it's so perfect. Crying Crying never did nobody no good, no how That's why I Don't cry. That's why I, I don't cry. Laughing, laughing sometimes does somebody some good somehow. Why I, I'm laughing now. 
I'm at a point now where I sort of, when I see a movie that just has like number one hit after number one hit, I'm like, that's lazy. Yeah. Or that thing where you have like the biggest pop star in the world who's written a song for the film, but it's just thrown in on the credits yeah. at the end. It's like, yeah. what's the point? What's the point of that? I know. <laughs> I know. It's like, I obviously having songs that we have emotional connections with, like the Cat Stevens songs, song that's in the movie is wonderful and it mm. can bring you back to something in your, your own life and you have your own personal connection to it and that can be so powerful to feel that familiar feeling of knowing the song but I also love finding things that people wouldn't necessarily know that just feel emotionally right too. And I imagine as well that well um, do the performances influence you know what complements that musically as well. I mean, yeah, the performances, but also more than that, sort of the bigger edit and storytelling. I mean, the thing about you—you you spend so long writing a script, and you have this sort of rhythm and shape to the whole thing, and then you get into the edit, and it changes. And there are moments where you realize you need to feel more energy, or you're, there are moments where you need to let things simmer, or there are moments, and you just recognize how much music can help mm. guide the bigger kind of symphony that you're telling over the course of the film and that it can be incredibly helpful, you know? And, um, and there are times that you thought when you were filming it, like, oh, this is going to be a really slow sequence. And you realize, no, it's got to be a lot faster for where I'm feeling at this moment in the watching of the movie. And also those making that decision on where not to have music as well is, oh, is yeah. as important. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I often pull back and like scenes to be dry I like the most emotional moment of a scene to be dry and have no music and then wait a little bit and then the music can come in. <laughs> yeah. But the music can't come in in that big emotional moment because it will be too manipulative. Yeah, totally. Um, I'm so glad we got to chat. Me it's too. so brilliant. And congratulations on the film again. Thank nice you. to chat to you. Thank you. You can make believe it happened or pretend that something's true. You can wish or hope or contemplate a thing you'd like to do. But until you start to do it, you will never see it through. Because the make-believe pretending just won't do it for you. You've got to do it. Every little bit, you've got to do it. Do it, do it, do it. And when you're through, you can know who did it or you did it. You did it. You did it. It's not easy to keep trying, but it's one good way to grow. It's not easy to keep learning, but I know that this is so. When you've tried and learned, you're bigger than you were a day ago. It's not easy to keep trying, but it's one way to grow, you've got to do it, every little bit, you've got to do it, do it, do it, do it, and when you're through, you can know who did it, for you did it, you did it, you did it. From the soundtrack to A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood, that's You've Got to Do It by Fred Rogers, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with the wonderful Mariella Heller. My huge thanks to Mariella for taking the time to talk to us. A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood is on general release now, and I promise you it is a fantastic film that stays with you for a very long time afterwards. 
Now, if you're new to Soundtrack and catch up with all of our previous episodes via edithbowman.com or your preferred podcast provider. And please do subscribe whilst you're there. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and please do keep spreading the word if you like what you hear. Now, just before I tell you about next week's uh, guest on the show, I just wanted to say a massive congratulations to my other half on this podcast, Ben, who spends hours doing his wizardry making this podcast sound as good as it does with his wonderful editing skills. So I'd like to say huge congratulations to Ben and his partner Becky on the arrival of their beautiful baby daughter so huge congratulations to you guys and thank you for all the work that you do on this podcast Uh, next up then we are joined by the one and only Mr Tim Burton which happened at one of our BFI live events just before Christmas which we are finally bringing you for the podcast and I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then (laughs) 